know, it's funny. We live in a day and time of technology. We live in the day and time where things that we used to do, and it took interaction with people, now we can do through technology. We can FaceTime anywhere in the country as long as there's a cell signal instantly in real time see somebody else. Things that used to take days to prepare and get ready, now we can do in a matter of hours or even in some cases a matter of minutes. But there's just sometimes you got to slow down and you got to go back to the basics, if you will. We're in the third week of a series, and that's kind of what we're doing here at Action Church in the middle of the hustle and the bustle and the craziness. And if there was ever a time in my lifetime where how we do church is changing, it would be this time. I mean, we have churches that are literally not even opening up their doors on Sunday morning, yet they're preaching to tens of thousands of people live through the Internet. That's pretty amazing. Technology is amazing like that. It's a time where a lot of churches are evaluating, do we ever go back to in-person service? Because by being able to do it through technology, we're able to have 24-hour access to the sermon, 24-hour access to ministry and other people, and we're learning that people can connect online. But make no mistake about it, there's just time where you have to go back to the basics. I just don't think personally, especially for a church like Action Church, we would probably close our doors before we would become an online-only church. It's just not who we are. We're an in-person church. We're a church where you got to come and get a hug and get that high five. And, man, you got to see people. We're just an interactive church. And in a day and time where that's not the most popular thing, we would much rather roll over in our PJs, pick up our phone, log into Facebook, and watch the service live. I just don't think we'll ever be that type of church. Whoever thought that Action Church at the end of the day would just be a basic church, kind of a traditional church. The new traditional is a church that actually meets on Sunday morning and opens up its doors. And so we're getting back to the basics. We're in this series, and basically what we're doing is is we're covering topics that we've all heard a thousand times. We're covering the foundations of our faith. Grady a couple of weeks ago talked about how everything that we believe and everything that we do, it begins and it ends with Jesus. And without Jesus, there is no faith. And we talked about the importance of our relationship with Christ and how we should foster that every day. And then last week I talked about just the simplicity of the Bible. One of the most complex books ever written, but there's this beautiful simplicity that comes and the Word of God, and I talked about how the foundation of our faith ought to be that we're in the Word of God every single day. And we talked about how we live in a day and time. While that's a basic principle, the technology out today allows us to have access to the Bible like never before through our phone and through our computers and through having hard copies of the Word of God. And we talked about how there's countries that literally people are killed for having a copy of the Word of God yet we have three and four copies laying all around collecting dust. There's power in the Word of God. We talked about how we study the Word of God. And this week I want to get back to another foundational principle and a principle, again, that we've heard a thousand times. And here's the problem when you hear something so much. Eventually, you begin to tune it out. 
I know nobody here has a wife like this, but it would be from what I've heard from other people outside of Action Church. It'd be like having a wife who nags all the time. Again, I know that's none of the women here at this church. Don't be elbowing your wife. Don't be pointing to her. We don't have, the shelter's not open right now. There's no place for you to stay. But you know, when they just nag all the time, and eventually they nag so much that you do what? You, you just tune them out. We try to teach our kids this all the time. Luke is in this stage, and um, he's in this stage where he thinks it's funny to, lack of a better word, to lie, to tell stories. And he's trying to be funny, but we're trying to teach him the principle that, hey, there's going to come a day in time where you're telling the truth about something and we're not going to believe you because you do this so much. So sometimes we hear stuff so much that we tune it out. We hear about the Bible so much that we tune it out. In the church, we hear about Jesus so much that we tune it out. And today's subject is one of those subjects that we definitely hear so much that we tune out, and we're going to talk today about the subject of prayer. One of the greatest gifts, let's, let's, let's go back and say that again. David, I don't know if you can hear this. It is ringing like crazy. I don't know if the monitors are on or what. But something weird is going on up here. I don't know if you hear that or not. Um, prayer is one of those basis of our faith. Prayer is one of those things that... Um, I dare say next to salvation is the greatest gift that God has ever given us. Think about it for a minute. The, the creator of the universe allows us to go directly to him and communicate. With all due respect to our Catholic brethren, you don't have to come through me. Aren't you glad that you don't got to come through me to get to God? How bad would your faith be then? I mean, how would you, like, it's bad enough, I get it. You look at your friends and tell them you go to Action Church now and they look at you weird. How would it be to be like, yeah, man, when I want to talk to God, I go through Gary Lamb. <laughs> like, I feel your pain in that. But we serve a God who created a thing called prayer that allows us to go directly to him. It's one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given us, to have direct access to the Father. And what should really be the first resort in everything that we do, for some reason becomes the last resort in everything we do. How many times have you been in a situation, maybe financially or someone's health, or you've got a big decisions to make, and boy, you try everything in your power to get it on your own, and then finally you throw up your hands in the air, almost defeated, and say, Nothing we can do now but pray. Like that's a negative thing. I often wonder how those processes would go if very from the very beginning we looked and said, hey, before we start doing anything else, we need to go to God about this issue. We need to go to God about my marital issues. We need to go to God about our financial issues. We need to go to God about this sickness that we're dealing with. We need to go to God about X, Y, and Z, about this career change. But instead, we've taken this awesome gift and we've made it a last resort. 
I'm convinced the reason most of us take prayer for granted is, is we've heard so much about prayer. We've heard about the power of prayer. We've done what the church is so good. Because here's what the church is phenomenal at. Preachers are phenomenal at telling you what you should do. And they're horrible about telling you how you should go about doing it. You ought to have faith. Awesome. If it was that easy, I would. Can you walk me through the Word of God and tell me how I can grow my faith? Boy, you ought to give up your addictions. Awesome. You ought to. Can you tell me from the Word of God how to do that? You ought to pray. Awesome. I'm down. I'm praying. But the problem is when I pray, I feel like they hit that ceiling and they bounce right back down. Or I don't know about you, and I know that you'll never admit this. But my time of prayer often becomes when every dirty, sinful, wrong thought in my head just starts popping in. I'm like, whoa, why is that there? Oh, wait a minute. I mean, I'm married, and I'm glad she had that outfit on that day, and she tried to spice things up. But I don't need to be thinking about that outfit right now. I'm trying to talk to God. Now, I know that don't happen to any of y'all. But man, prayer's that time of distraction. By the way, it's still new to me that my kids are in the service and not next door. Really got to work on what I talk about up here. (laughs) Prayer becomes that time of distraction. And I'm convinced the problem is, it's not that we don't believe in the power of prayer. The problem is, if we were to be honest... Many of us simply don't know how to pray. You say, well, it's just a conversation with God. That sounds great, but let's just be honest. And I believe, let me make this as clear to you as possible. I believe God speaks to us. I believe God speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through nature. He speaks to us through other people. But the reality of the situation is, I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm not saying he won't do it. But man, I'm 44 years old. I've been following Christ since I was 20 years old. I've never had God in an audible voice have a conversation back with me. God, I'm coming to you. Yeah, Gary, what's up? So it worked that way. So it gets kind of hard to have that one-way conversation when we don't know how to have that conversation. If we were to be honest, prayer is just not something that comes natural to us. And what comes natural to us in the area of prayer, and I'll talk about this in a little bit, is often selfish and not biblical. We have to be taught to pray. And guess what? You're in good company today. Jesus, when he came on the earth, he chose these 12 dudes to walk around with him everywhere they did life with him. They were his inner circle, if you will. Even those 12 cats had to be taught to pray. On more than one occasion, they went to Jesus and said, Hey, 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 I need you to teach me how to do this. Look what it says in Luke 1. One One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Check this out. Just as John taught his disciples, John, there would be John the Baptist. Two of the greatest men of the faith in the New Testament, John the Baptist, Jesus, both had followers and both of them thought it important enough during their time on earth to cover the topic of prayer and not only say you ought to be praying, but hey, let's back up for a minute and let me teach you how to pray. 
There's nothing more frustrating than having to go do something and not knowing how to do it. I have become, anybody that knows me knows I am the most unhandy handyman in the world. I don't know how to fix anything. I, but what you don't realize is it actually goes past just being handy. I'm very technology challenged. Anything that involves steps in a system, I'm very challenged in that area. I don't enjoy it. I don't want to learn it. I operate, I've convinced myself that I operate very well in chaos. People ask me all the time, what do you do for a living? I said, I draw people to events. That's all I do. I tell people all the time, I don't even put on good events. I'm average as an event planner. I'm great as a promoter. I have to put on average events where I have something to promote to get people to. I don't do good with systems. Thank God for YouTube. I can't tell you how many times I've watched YouTube and some nine-year-old has taught me how to do something step by step. I told you the story of fixing our washing machine. I watched it on YouTube. I fixed it. You say, what's the big deal? If you're new here, what you need to understand is when I married Christine, I had two tools. I didn't even know what they were called. I didn't know they were called a Phillips head screwdriver and a flathead screwdriver. I thought they were called the plus thingamajig and the negative thingamajig because it looks like a plus sign, it looks like a negative sign. I only had that to pry stuff open, to be honest with you. I knew this going into the marriage. I told Chris, I said, let's make something real clear to you. I said, you're going to think I'm joking right now. I don't fix stuff. I don't try to fix stuff. I don't attempt to fix stuff. One of the benefits of pastoring is I have a lot of people who fix stuff. When their lives are falling apart, I help them. And when I need things fixed, they help me. She didn't believe me for the first time she asked me to fix something. Yeah, I'll get right on that. Pull out my cell phone. Call Dave Clark. Call Doug Knight. I don't want to know how to do certain things. But if you want to get the most out of stuff, there's sometimes you've got to learn some things. And if you want to get the most out of this amazing gift called prayer, you've got to learn how to pray. Because without learning about prayer, you don't get to benefit from prayer. So back in January, I bought a truck. It's the newest car I've ever owned. It was basically brand new. It was a 2019. I bought it in January. It had about 18,000 miles on it. And it's got all this stuff that I don't need. I don't need it. But I'm not going to lie to you. It's pretty cool to have it. But here's the thing about having it. I've had to watch a lot of YouTube videos to learn how to work it. I couldn't benefit from all the things the truck offered me until I learned about the truck. It's got things that I, like I said, I don't need them, but it's cool to have them. But I could have went my whole life never getting the most out of that truck had I not 
learned about the truck. You can have the gift of prayer. You can do like most of us do and never pray, but when your world is falling apart, go to God like he's some genie in the bottle. And even then it works, but you're missing out on the awesomeness of prayer. For the large majority of us, if we were to be honest, the most sincere sincere prayers that we have ever prayed have been on a Sunday morning after being out all night Saturday on our knees in front of the porcelain God Tears coming down your face as you vomit. I'm not judging you. I have been there. I have done that. I have got the scars to prove it. But man, are those not some of the most sincere prayers ever? Dear God, please get me through this. And then we go into the bargaining stage. Here's what's going on. You're going to be amazed. When Christ teaches disciples how to pray, there's never a bargaining stage. But dear God, I'll never drink again. Just get me through this. We're sincere at that moment. But we don't understand the power of prayer. One day, put that verse back up, please, Andrew. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. He got done praying. And one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. They were so blown away watching the Savior pray that they wanted to learn what he was doing. They've been hanging out with Jesus now for a while. Now think about this for a minute. The disciples had seen Jesus do some crazy stuff. They had seen him take a couple of fishes and a couple of loaves of bread and feed 5,000 people. They had seen Jesus roll up on a dead man, bring the dead man back to life. They had seen Jesus walk up on a crazy man full of demons, take those demons out of that man and send them into a herd of pigs who overran a ledge and killed themselves. They had seen Jesus, and if you were, they were any part of Action Church, this would have been the one that impressed them the most. They had seen Jesus go to a wedding. At the wedding, they run out of wine. She says, don't worry about it, bring me some water. That's how I picture it in my head anyway. Like he's a Jedi. And he takes the water and he turns it into wine. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm one of the 12, all the things I'm asking Jesus to teach me, I want to know how you bring dead people back to life. I want to know how you cast the demons out of that man. Jesus, Jesus, I listen, I don't ask much from you, but if I could have the superpower of taking water and turning it into bourbon, Jesus, people, I got to know how you do that. Yet all the crazy things they saw, they never went to Jesus one time and said, teach us that. But as they watched the Savior pray, they were so blown away. They were so moved. They were so mesmerized 
when they saw Jesus going to the heavenly father and communicating one-on-one with the God of the universe, they stopped dead in their tracks and said, Jesus, teach us how to do that. They saw the power that comes from prayer. They saw the significance that comes from prayer. They saw the life change that comes from prayer. I believe as they watched Jesus perform miracle after miracle after miracle, they knew the energy that came from that or that fueled that was the prayer life that Jesus had. They knew that everything in Jesus' ministry that he was and what he accomplished came from the times that he spent praying over and over and over through the New Testament or the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see that Jesus would leave the disciples. He would leave the crowds and go off and pray. He would go off and spend one-on-one time with the Father. Now, I don't know exactly what it was that they saw, but it was powerful. It was intimate. It was life-changing to them. He was connecting with the God of the universe in a relational way. It was supernatural. And they wanted to learn how to pray. (laughs) Jesus, you just got to show us how you did that. It, It was a hunger deep inside of them as they watched Jesus pray. Matter of fact, you can actually go throughout the New Testament. There's several other occasions. They came to Jesus and said, Jesus, can you you teach us how to pray? Never, Jesus, can you teach us how to perform miracles. Never, Jesus, can you teach us how to speak in such a way that 5,000 men show up just to listen to you. But when they saw Jesus pray, they knew it wasn't something that came natural to them. You know, there's some skills in life you're just born with. I'm actually a believer that leaders are born. Now, I believe even though they're born, they have to be trained and taught. But either you're a leader or you're not a leader. Because if you're not, it's not a bad thing. You have a different calling. Some people are leaders. You ever seen a kid, they can be four or five years old, and they're on the baseball field, and you're like, holy smokes, that kid was born being an athlete. Some kids are just born, and you're like, holy smokes, he's just born smart. But then there's some things that are taught. My dad was a huge basketball fan growing up, and he loved this guy named Pistol Pete Maravich. I know, does anybody remember Pistol Pete? If you're younger than me, you probably don't remember Pistol Pete. So little scrawny white kid who in one season averaged almost 60 points a game in the NBA with no three-point line. And Pistol Pete said this, He said, I can't teach you how to be athletic. He said, but I can teach anybody if they're willing to learn. doesn't matter how tall they are, how short they are, how skinny they are, how fat they are, how fast they are, how slow they are. He said, if they want to do it enough, anybody can learn to shoot a basketball through a hoop. He said, it's all about chemistry. It's all about repetition. It's all about angles. It's all about math. Anybody, if they want to do it enough, can learn to shoot a basketball through a hoop. So there's some things that are taught, 
when there's some things that come natural. Well, what he knew was not everybody can run and dribble at the same time, no matter how much you, you practice. You've got to have coordination. Not everybody can get in there no matter how hard they practice and be a great rebounder. At the end of the day, you've got to have just a little something up here that makes you want to get in the paint and pound people, and you've got to be tall enough, and you've got to be wiry enough. They say Dennis Rodman was the greatest rebounder ever, but, and a lot of it was because of how his body physically was. He was born with that. But there's some things that can be taught. And prayer is one of those things that over and over and over the disciples said, teach us. So look what Jesus says. He goes on back and forth. And he says, this then is how you should pray. And he goes into the most famous prayer in all the Bible. The Lord's Prayer. I'm about to burst your bubble on some things about the Lord's Prayer. He says, then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. We all know this prayer. A large majority of us know this prayer. Even if you didn't grow up in church, chances are really good you've heard this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, okay, this is how you should pray. The Lord's Prayer. It's God's gift to us. God says, here's my gift. I'm going to show you how to pray. You've asked me how to do it, and now I'm going to teach you how to do it. And here's where I want to burst your bubble. What he is not saying here is these are the exact words you should use. Again, I, I hate it for you. I'm not trying to be offensive to you. If, if you grew up in a more formal church, you might have had to say this every Sunday. You were taught that this was the only way to pray. He's not saying these are the words. He's saying the elements that I'm about to lay out to you ought to be part of your everyday prayer life. It's not the words. It's the principles found in this prayer. You want to know how to pray? He gives you an outline on what should be part of your daily prayer life. The first thing he lays out in this prayer is we should seek God's presence with a worshipful heart. I don't have a bunch of cute points for you today that are all going to start with the same letter. I tried. I don't have a bunch of cute points for you today that all rhyme. I tried. I don't have a bunch of cute points for you today that are one word that will be easy for you to remember. I tried. I have statements for you today. So this would be a really good day for you to take notes or to take out your phone and take pictures of the slides. Because you're going to want to go back because I'm also going to break another one of my rules today. I'm going to overload you with information. Really what I should have done with this sermon is turn it into an entire series. And I might down the road. But I'm going to give you brief synopsis of each of these because these are the elements. I don't want you to wait five weeks to know how to pray. I want you to have the elements today. Because the best way you'll ever change your life is through prayer. The best way you'll ever save your marriage is through prayer. The best way you'll ever discover your purpose in life is through prayer. The best way you'll ever get your finances in order is following the principles, but also bathing them in prayer. The only way this church has made it nine years, let me educate you on this church. This church should not exist. It shouldn't. 
This church should have closed down a long, long time ago. If you were to read a book on how to do church, we've done everything the opposite. Everything that churches that are growing emphasize, we don't emphasize. We, we instead of moving out to where all the money is on the outskirts of town, like 90% of the churches that were in town, we came to the poorest part of town. We didn't build the big building. We took over the nasty grocery store. Not only did we take over the nasty grocery store, we don't even try to make it fancy. Christine, we're somewhere there. We were at Walmart the other day. And if you've been to the Walmart on Riverstone, they're remodeling the Walmart. And they're redoing the floors. And Christine said, well, how could we do this to our floors? I said, we could never do this to our floors. I said, those floors are outdated like crazy. They're They are what they are. Now, I'm sure we can spend a lot of money and shine them up, but guess what? We're not. There's like gum stuck on this floor. I was here when it was a grocery store. I think it's just character of the building. The chairs are never going to match. Some of you, I kid you not, right now, are sitting in chairs from a strip club. When we first started this church, we had no chairs. And I'll never forget Scott Farley called me and said, hey, we need some chairs, right? I said, yeah. He goes, I got a whole trailer load. I said, oh, awesome. Where, Pink Pony? I didn't ask him how he got them. We've never blacklighted them. But you're sitting in them. Don't you feel good today? Did you know until about two years ago, every light in this church on this stage came from, guess what? Pink Pony. He said, what's the connection with the Pink Pony? I don't know. For some reason, we have a lot of connections to the Pink Pony. Scott Farley always goes back. Or the drummer for Phil's band. It's always something. We're always getting goodies from the Pink Pony. Welcome to Action Church. This church exists because of prayer. It sure don't. It sure, well, maybe God answered our prayer with the pink pony. I don't know. This church exists because people are prayed for it. Trust me, it doesn't exist because financially there's enough money that comes in to pay the bills. We've literally, how many times have I had to come down here and literally the power company's out back fixing to turn the power off? Every time I've talked them out of those stories you don't see. But God provides. And he provides through prayer. So I don't got five weeks to wait for you to learn in depth all these steps. I want to give them to you today. Because there's power in prayer. And the reality is some of you are facing some decisions in life right now that might not make it five weeks. So you need to learn how to pray today. First thing you do is you go to seek God's presence with a worshipful heart. What he's saying here is as you start your prayer life not focused on you and who you are, but focused on who he is. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You're acknowledging who you're talking to. You're acknowledging that you are talking to the creator of the universe, God with the big G, that he's in control. The original language written in the Greek, and this word hallowed here, it, it, it literally means holy. 
It means you're talking to the Holy One. It's Jesus' way of saying is when when you go to the Father, you recognize and you acknowledge He's God. And you're not. How many times have you ever had an interaction with your children and sometimes they're feeling a little bit frisky, if you will, a little bit ballsy, if you will, and you got to stop them and say, hey, let me remind you who you're talking to. I'm dad. I don't care what you're going through. You don't talk to me that way. Now, the other side of that is, is there's times where I acknowledge where I'm at. Again, with my kids. I don't always go to my kids as dad. There's sometimes they don't need dad. They need a friend. There's times my kids are making stupid mistakes that guess what? I made 30, 40 years ago. And I go to them and say, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? I, I want to talk to you as someone who's been where you've been and dealt with what you're dealing with. I want to get on their level. I want this important that you know who you're talking to. There's sometimes I go to my kids and I say, hey, I'm coming to you right now as dad. What that means is shut your freaking mouth and listen to what I got to say and you ain't got to like it, but if you say one word, I'm going to backhand you across this room. That's what dad means in my house anyway. Hey, can I, can I, can I come to you today as someone who's, who's had a friend do something to me I didn't like? Just got to acknowledge. He's saying when we go to God, we need to recognize that he is holy, that he is pure, that he is God, and we're not. I remember the day I gave my life to Christ. I've shared this story with you a million times. I was in an old school, independent, fundamental, premillennial, King James only. Women couldn't wear pants. Baptist church, man, you would fry like bacon. This little five-foot-nothing Cherokee Indian got up on stage, and he started preaching and screaming. And he, damn it! And he was screaming. And I ain't going to even do it. Man, my throat's sore. I don't even want to do it. Man, he went on and on and on. He preached for about an hour and 57 minutes. He hung my feet over the, the flames of hell. He told me I was going to fry like bacon! Man, I was so damn scared at the end. Like, he was like, Come down if you need Jesus. I, I, I didn't even know what come down meant. I was coming down. And I'll tell you, I felt the presence of God like I've never felt in my life. And God radically changed my life that day. You think I'm bad now? You should have seen me then. For the first time ever, I realized I'm not in control. Something more powerful is. And when you go to God, he's saying, hey, we need to recognize who he is. Because what happens with God is sometimes we forget who he is. We live in a culture who is trying, listen, even the church. And I get it, I'm probably guilty of it myself. But we've made Jesus our friend instead of the creator. He's not JC, he's the holy God. He's not your get-out-of-jail-free card. He's God. He's not your genie in the bottle. He's holy. He's perfect. And when you're spending time in prayer with God, you've got to acknowledge who He is. Think about this for a minute. You have the opportunity. 
You say, you really believe this here? I'm smoking what I'm selling. They say the most ineffective dope sellers, man, are the ones that smoke their own dope. You say, well, I smoke my own dope. That's cool. I'm not, I'm not bashing you. I'm just saying it influences you not to be able to make the best decisions, man, because you want everybody to have what you're having. They, they say, you know the number one reason bars shut down? Bar owners can't stay sober. Clouds their judgment. Not the drinking clouds their judgment. I mean, they just want everybody to have a good time like they are. I'm smoking what I'm selling when it comes to this is what I'm telling you. I believe there's a God who spoke everything into existence. Who's the creator of the universe? I, I, that just seems far-fetched. I'm just more of a big bang theory. I said, oh, okay. I said, because that makes so much more sense. All of a sudden, boom! Explosion, here we are. Seems about as far-fetched as a man of God that's always been here and spoke everything into existence. I figure if the Big Bang person's wrong, they're screwed. If I'm wrong and the Big Bang theory is right, at least I'm still good because, man, we just, boom, here we were. We'll err on the side of Jesus. Smoking when I'm selling the God of the universe, we have an opportunity to communicate with him. And yet we swoop in, come in real quick, throw out these cheap prayers, and wonder why we get cheap answers. He's all powerful, he's sovereign, he's in control. He's big, we're small. And you need to start your time in prayer acknowledging who he is. That's what Jesus says here. Hallowed be thy name. Second thing, when we go to God in prayer, we should seek God's priorities over our own priorities. These steps are so important. Jesus is not stupid. He didn't just throw these out haphazardly. They're in order for a reason. The reason we acknowledge that he's God is where we can get to the second step. Because if we don't believe he's God, we're going to be more interested in our priorities instead of his priorities. And we're so guilty of this. I, You're going to find this amazing about me and shocking about me. But I am naturally a selfish person. Shocker, I know. I want what I want when I want it. We had a fight at the Lamb House Tuesday night because I misunderstood on the phone I thought my wife said she and Emily wanted chicken. I wanted steak. So I came home with steak and chicken, but just enough steak for me. I sit at the table. They beat me to the table, and they start grabbing steak. And I acted like a baby. I'm not going to lie. I should have been like, man, who's such a damn good cook? That chicken's still good. But I didn't. I pitched a fit. Did not go good in the lamb house that night. Here's normally what happens in the lamb house. I know this doesn't happen in your home, but if you go to bed with it not good, normally that means Wednesday morning ain't good either because you wake up the next morning and it ain't good. When you wake up the next morning and nobody's acknowledging each other, when you normally talk and it's about 1130 before the phone call finally happens, you know what ain't good? All because I wanted steak. Let me tell you how bad it was. They say confession's good for the soul, it's bad for the ego. I even pulled this card the next day. I might have been that night, I can't remember. Zip it. 
Don't nobody want nothing from the peanut gallery on the front row. I even pulled this card. First time ever in 44 years I've ever pulled this card. Yeah, David, I, 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 you're going to get it. Listen, I work hard. And if I want something, I ought to have it. If I wanted a freaking steak, I ought to be able to have steak. The problem is I could have steak. They wanted steak too. I just misunderstood. Like I pulled that card. I worked hard today like a baby. Like literally like a temper tantrum. We're selfish. And there's no area that we're more selfish than our prayer life. We spend so much time asking God to get involved in what we want instead of asking God what does he want us involved in. He says, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says the second principle when we go to God is we've got to go to God putting his priorities over our priorities. I'll never forget praying with Luke one day. He was little. And Luke's praying, and he's praying, and he, he had just moved out of saying the little recited prayer we had taught him. He was praying his own prayers. And I'll never forget, we were taking him to the Lego land or wherever it was the next day, and he prayed, and God bless this, and watch over mommy and daddy, and blah, 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 blah. And Lord, help me to get some Legos tomorrow. Now, he was about four or five at the time. That's okay. But that's how we pray. God, I, I want a new, just give me a new car, God. God, now I know I'm in debt up to my ears and can't pay my bills now, but I deserve. Just give me a new car. God, I need a man. I don't need a man. Let me preface that. Don't need that rumor out there. I'm already the drug dealing porn star pastor. I don't need to be the one looking for a man. God, I need a man. And then you'll be the next one to complain, I ain't no good man, every man I... Because you're not waiting on God. Am mm, I hitting too close to home? Mm-hmm. I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. When we come to God in prayer, here's what we feel to realize. It's all about Him, not us. It's all about who he is. That's why we acknowledged it. It's all about what he's doing. It's all about who he wants us to be. What he wants for us. What he wants to work in our lives. He's God. You're not. And you want to know why you find yourself in so many messes? Because you live your life doing what you want instead of what God wants. We think God's some cosmic Coke machine. Boop, put the money in, hit the button. Say the prayer, tell them what we want. I can't tell you how many people have come to me. Now, let me make this very clear. I believe God moves people. But it's always fun to me. People come to me and they're moving out of the area got a better job opportunity, got this, moving to this. And then the last thing they think about is, hey, hey, Pastor G, you know any good churches in this area that we're moving to? 
And I think to myself, I wonder what would happen if we built our life around God and His church first. Everything else would fall into place. And instead of looking, before we take the job offer, looking and saying, man, there's some churches in this area I'd like to go visit. No, that's just an afterthought. It's funny, people do that when they get married. I do weddings for people that cost forty dollars and $50,000. At the last minute, they're calling me scrambling for a preacher. And you, can you come do my wedding? No. I hate weddings. I do weddings for one group of people. People that I like and I want to be a gift to them. Don't call me at the last minute. So my new thing is this when they call me. When I do weddings, I don't ever charge anybody if I like them. If I don't want to, this is how you'll know if I don't want to do your wedding. Yeah, I'll do that wedding. $1,000. What? Now, I think $1,000 is probably a little extreme, but here's the funny thing. They'll spend $15,000 on flowers. They'll spend $5,000 on the band. They'll spend $20,000 on the venue. God's always last. The pastor who's going to get up and, and sanctify you between before the presence of God and tell you the biblical mandates of marriage. And because here's it, screw being married by the state. I, I understand that, but like, this is something between God. It's a covenant between you, your spouse, and God. State's just a formality in that process. But it's always the things of God that come last in our life, yet we wonder why our lives suck. Why our lives are falling apart. <laughs> Go back and put that point up, Xander. We seek God's priorities over our own. Henry Blackaby says we need to quit praying for God to get involved in what we're involved in. And we need to start praying for us to get involved in what God's involved in. <laughs> My wife and I are in the process of selling our house and trying to buy another house. I hate that process. I like to be in control. Also, because my wife and I are weird about homes, we have a very unique home. It's 103 years old. It's kind of odd. It's not the home for everybody. And, and then the home we're looking for is a very odd home. We're upgrading. It's This one's only 44 years old. And um, so, you know, it seems old. It's not old when you live in a 103-year-old house. That's quite new. But it's unique, and it's not the home that anybody, everybody would want to live in. And so it's odd. The process is odd. We get a home inspection that comes back with all this stuff that 44-year-old home would come back on. They get a home inspection on our home that has a lot of stuff that would come back on in a 103-year-old house. It's just weird. It's so weird to the point that, not trying to be negative, but it wouldn't surprise me if it all falls through. It's just not. It's a balancing act. Yesterday, me and Christina were talking about it. We're like, what can we do to do this? Automatically going into what can we do to make this deal happen? And I finally looked and I said, we're not doing anything else. If it happens, it happens. If God wants it to happen, it happens. And I know that we want this other house, but it falls through at the end of the day. We're going to trust God because he's smarter than we are. Now, that doesn't mean it's not going to hurt if we lose the house that we won't. And I'm sure it's going to start that process because she never ages, but to start that process where Sierra's red hair starts to turn gray. She's our agent in dealing with us and having to start the whole process over. 
But there comes a time in that situation where you've got to step back and be like, we've done everything in our power. There's nothing else we can do. Either it's God's priority or it's not God's priority. See, it's easy for us to trust God when God's doing what we want him to do. But God's not on your program. Newsflash for you. Maybe, maybe your mommy and daddy should have taught you the world doesn't revolve around you a little bit better. We go to God seeking his priorities. Seeking God's will. We've learned that over and over throughout this whole COVID thing. Three and a half, four months ago, we lost, both of us lost all our income. All of it, 100%. Yet, the funny thing about that is, is we paid all our bills and almost doubled our savings account during that time. Because we turned it over to God. I have a way of praying. A lot of people, I just, I just pray my favorite prayer. Hey, God, I'm moving forward. If you don't want to work, I need you to shut that door. And if you don't shut that door and it's not your will, we both going to look real, real stupid. I always give them that opportunity. Shut that door. Shut that door. We need to go seeking God's priorities. I'm not, let me make this clear. I'm not one of these pastors who think you should never get divorced. Crap happens. I think divorce is horrible. I think God hates divorce. I think there's long-term ramifications for it. But I think this too. I think a lot of people who walk out on their marriages, if they'd have turned their marriage over to God, a long time ago, they might not be in that situation they are in today. Gary Lamb again, the king of that. I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching with you. Let God's will be God's will. We live in that 80s philosophy, feel good, just do it. We want what we want when we want it. And sometimes our ways are not God's ways. There's a peace that comes. We'll live in God's way. There's a peace when God's at the forefront of your decisions. A lot of you don't understand that because you've never done it. All I can tell you is, man, there's a peace. The Bible says a peace that passes all understanding. When we go to God in prayer, we need to go to God in prayer, acknowledging who he is, and we need to go to God, putting his priorities first. I've got to get through this thing. We need to seek God's provision for our daily needs. This is key in the way I worded this. We need to seek God's provision for our daily needs. Give us today our daily bread. <laughs> Give us this day our daily bread. I grew up in this church, and they had this thing before church. It was called Sunday school. Anybody grew up in Sunday school? Hated Sunday school. Sunday school was real technology advanced. They had a flannel board. They would teach you lessons in the flannel board. And I remember for some reason I used to have this Sunday school teacher all the time who sang this weird song. It was like this almost Middle Eastern tune to it. It was like, Jehovah Jireh, my redeemer. I'm a horrible singer, and I have no rhythm, as you can tell. I just tried to move my legs, and it didn't work. And, um, you know, in my head, it was really, I was had the little things, and I was Middle Eastern, and it worked out really good, but it didn't come across that way. I never knew what the song was. It was Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh is one of the names that God means our provider. We need to understand something. We serve a God who's our provider. The problem with so many of you is you're looking to your job to provide. You're looking to your spouse to provide. You're looking at your hard work to provide. Don't interpret that as me saying you ought to not work hard. 
which you need to understand something today. God is our provider. We think Walmart provides because we went to the store. We think McDonald's provides because they gave us the food at the drive-thru. Some of you you thought your job provided until COVID hit. Most people miss out on the will of God. And I'm not saying, I want you to listen to what I'm saying. I'm not saying these things are not important. But so many of you look so long-term that you can't live by faith today. You can't step out because you're worried about the 401k. You can't make this move because you've got it all calculated down there. i got to have insurance for a 401k and two weeks of vacation, and I'm just not going to step out because I have no testicles instead of trusting God. Did I say that? I'm sorry. What it really means is you don't believe God provides for you. He says we're to go to God daily and ask God to provide for us today. If we go to God and ask to ride for the next year, then we, we can just coast the rest of the year. He wants us living by faith every day. God, provide for me today. Watching my wife grow in this area has been one of the most amazing things. I wish, I wish that um, I was a video person. I wish I could do a documentary. If there's any area in life I would do a documentary on my wife, it would be on the area of her learning that God provides for us from where she is today to where she was seven years ago. And she, she has more faith in the area of God providing than I do. And I have a lot, because I've lived by faith my whole life, working for myself. Seven years ago, she went to visit her mom and looked at me, a grown man, still a bone of contention, she can't tell. They said, how much money do I need to leave you this week? How much money do you need to leave me? I can spend whatever I want to go to. I Like, do you need $40? Like, that's how... Rigid she was about money. Now she she lives by faith. We had a we had a transaction this week that was over two thousand dollars. Two thousand dollars when money's happening for us is is still a scary thing. Two thousand dollars when neither one of us really have a steady income coming in because of COVID because we're in the event business is a big thing. I'm freaking out more about it than she was. She's like, yeah, let's just do it. It's, it's been a hindrance forever not having this done. We need to get this done. It was like 5.05. She had until 5.30 to get to the bank. I'm like, go, go tomorrow. Just do it. Now I'm going to go write a check right now. Boom. And I kind of want to pray about it. She's already prayed about it. She knows God provides. You go to God asking him to provide today. You want to make God laugh? Tell him your five-year plan. I've got my vision board, and I'm just um, I'm making a three-year vision board. What? I'm lucky to have a three-day vision board. I woke up yesterday with a new idea. I'm looking for a food truck on Facebook. Someone said, when did you come up with that? I said, about an hour ago. Are you going to get a food truck? I said, I'm just looking. I ain't even talked to Christine about it yet. I was just curious. <laughs> curious. I'm not. We need to go to God and seek every day. God, provide for us. Provide for us today. But what what about a year from now? I'm worried about today. The Bible says life, life, 
You're not promised tomorrow. Life's but a vapor. So many of you are missing out on living today. I saw something today that said we worked 70 years to retire to be able to enjoy the last eight years of our life. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. And again, I'm not saying you shouldn't plan for the future. It's not what I'm saying. But we need to go to God asking for today. Today, God, here's what I need. Today, God, my kids are dealing with X, Y, and Z. I need you to get them through today. God, today, we're going to be dealing with this situation. I'm coming to you today. I'm not worried about tomorrow. Tomorrow, we'll find out the due diligence on our homes. We'll find out if the people are going to come back and get our home and they're going to back out. And I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm, I, I, I told some prayers, but I'm not even worried about today. I got other things to worry about today. Tomorrow morning when I get up, guess what will be high on the topic of my prayer list? These people and their due diligence on our home and God's will being done in that situation. We need to pray for today seeking our day. Thing. I got to move on. I, I went way too long today. We're going to seek God's pardon for our sins. Missing ingredient talking to a lot of churches today. We're sinners. God forgives our sins. Thank God. But we got to go to Him. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. He says you got to go to Him and acknowledge who He is. You got to go to Him and make His priorities first. You got to go to Him asking for Him to provide for you daily. God, here, here's the problem God, restore my marriage. Took you 10 years to get your marriage crappy. How about God? Grow it a little bit today. Then we got to go to God and ask him forgiveness of our sins. Now, for some of you, you're good going to him once a day. Some of you, like me, I, I need to go to him about every 30 minutes and ask for forgive God. You know what I said? You know, I just cut that dude out, God. I'm sorry. Forgive me. We fail God every day. The Bible says for all of sin that comes short of the glory of God. The Bible says for there is none righteous, no, not one. I hate to burst your bubble, but we are sinners. We don't have to be taught how to sin. Babies learn how to do bad things right off the bat. We're born good. No, we're born bad. We're born sinners. And we got to go to God and ask for forgiveness of sins. We mess up. God's faithful and just to forgive us when we come to Him. But look what He said forgive our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Hey, grudge holder, how you want God to treat you? The way you treat others? I'm just asking for a friend. Go to God. God, I, I blew it yesterday. God, I blew it in this area. I'm coming to you and I'm asking for forgiveness. So hard for us to admit when we were wrong. My wife says, I, I, she said, I'm the most prideful person. I won't ever ask. I won't ever say I'm sorry. I'm trying to get better at that. When it comes to God, we got to go to God and acknowledge, God, I blew it today. And forgive me. Then why is it so important? I think it's just the, it's just the importance of going to God and acknowledging getting real with ourselves. He already knew we blew it. But when we're not being real with ourselves, 
it's easier just to keep doing it over and over and over and over. When we become more callous, the more we do it. It's keeping ourselves humble. God, forgive us. He says if, if, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin. He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The last thing we'll get done here. We've got to seek God's power to overcome temptation. That's what he lays out in this prayer right here. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let me educate you real quick, and I'm going to get us out of here. Satan is real. You say, you really believe that? Yep, I believe there's a God. And if there's a God, there has to be a devil. Or for there to be good, there has to be evil. Well, good's not good, it's just, it just is. And Satan wants nothing more than to destroy us. The Bible says he walks around like a roaring lion seeking, don't miss this, don't miss this, seeking whom he can devour. Satan knows he can't devour everyone. So he's seeking those he can. So what we've got to do is we've got to put on that armor of God every day. We've got to protect ourselves every day. And we've got to ask God, God, help me from being tempted. God, keep me from temptation. God, give me the power to overcome temptation. Temptation is everywhere. And isn't it funny that God always, or the devil always comes along and knows just the areas that we need to be tempted in. My wife and I were talking about this yesterday. We were talking about how difficult it must be to be married to someone that is an addict. And by I think we're all addicts, but I'm talking about like a drug addict, for example. Because a drug addict can be clean 15 years, praise God for that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't date a, a recovering addict. That's not what I'm saying. Hear my heart in this for a minute. And still when things go bad, many times their first instinct is to turn back to that addiction. We were talking about a friend who just went through some hard times after being clean for a long time, and their first temptation was to head back to that. You say, well, that could happen to anybody. No, it can't. I've never done those drugs, so my mind doesn't automatically go back to that. But my mind goes back to other things that are stumbling blocks for me. I, I don't understand. I don't understand those that struggle with gambling. I've never struggled with that, but it's real. So God can come along to me and throw something in my thing that has to do with gambling or betting, and it's not a stumbling block for me, but it's a stumbling block for other people. So I didn't mean God, Satan can. Satan comes along, for me it's ego. It's ego. Man, that's the temptation for people to start praising and people to start me to start moving up the thing and people start to acknowledging what I'm doing. And here I am. Recently, i got to be honest with you, it's a crazy time in our life. We're trying to buy a house, sell a house. And then I'm over here at this new place and, man, they love what I'm doing. And, man, they can start feeding that ego and they're giving me more power over there and they're giving me more authority over there and they're giving me more freedom over there. And I have to check myself in those areas to make sure, man, whoa, I appreciate this and this is good, you know. And the temptations get worse and worse. For right now, I, I have multi-millionaires who are believing in me. And multi-millionaires who are feeding in to me. I, man, that, my ego gets big. I have to come home and check myself and get humbled. And Christine has no problem humbling me. My kids have no problem humbling me. That's their way of, God, give me the power to overcome temptation. 
I've learned over the years, people ask me all the time, they say, man, how do you deal with the critics? I say the same way I deal with praise. One ear out the other. I get too low if I listen to the critics, and I get too high if I listen to the praise. I do what my wife and I pray about, and we decide and overcome that temptation to have my ego fed. But God, give me this supernatural power to overcome this. Always go back to the story of Joseph. I'm going to get out of here real quick. I promise you this is too good, though. Joseph, you remember the story? He becomes a slave. He's working for Potiphar. Potiphar's wife comes along and tries to seduce him. And Joseph just takes off running. I preach a sermon where I talk about run from sin. Don't avoid it. Run from it. Some of you have no business being in a bar because you're an alcoholic. You're trying to be a tough guy and avoid it. You need to run from it. Some of you have, have such issues with the opposite sex. You have no business being alone with those people, messaging with those people, talking with those people. You need to avoid it. Not, you need to run from it, not avoid it. It's a whole lot easier to stay sober if you ain't in the bar. Hey, it's a whole lot easier not to do drugs if you ain't walking around with drugs in your pocket or running around with people that do drugs. We know a guy who struggles with drug addiction and he's always in a mess with drugs, and it's always the friends who has the drugs, not him. And I always think to myself, well, maybe, maybe you need to do a better job of picking friends, because it seems to me as a recovering addict, I wouldn't want to be around people that are carrying drugs around with them all the time. Overcoming temptation. It's little things. Little things. Prayer's so powerful. But we got to get back to the basics on it. I overloaded you today. So I'm going to give you a screenshot that has all the points. Because these are the elements to prayer. Now, does that mean there's not other elements? Elements of thanksgiving, elements of supplication. There's all kinds of different elements. But this is the basis of the Lord's Prayer, which is when the disciples asked Jesus to show them how to pray. This is what he said. Some of you have been in your faith forever. And just like last week, you don't read your Bible like you should, and you wonder why you don't grow. Some of you have been Christians forever, but your prayer life sucks because you're not willing to seek who God is first. You're not willing to seek God's priorities first. You're not willing to pray for God to take care of today's needs. Quit worrying about tomorrow. Let God get you through today. Today. Throw your vision board away. Ask God to forgive us of our sins and ask God to keep us from temptation. That's the five steps that God lays out on how we should pray. Leave those up. We complicate it. We complicate it. I used to go to a church and every week they would come down and take the offering up and the pastor would call on someone to pray. And I always made me like it was a real country church full of good, hardworking people. I'm not country folks. Most of them couldn't complete a sentence. And it was country. But it came time to pray and these people suddenly tried to turn into King James. They would try to pray these impressive prayers. Lord, we come to thou today in thy presence lifting up us to our holiest hands. And they sound like idiots adding their man-made traditions to what prayer should be. 
The Bible talks about vain repetition and fancy words. It doesn't impress God. This is how he lays it out in the Lord's Prayer. But Satan's come along even with that and taught the church, you got to pray that prayer just like the Lord's Prayer. Some of us have it hanging in our house. That's cool to have prescription hanging in your house. But it's not the way it's said. It's the principles that are laid out there. That's the basics of prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you.